So hello, it's Mike Wheeler, co-host of Agility at Work. Co-host today in name only, unfortunately, because Kim Leary had to be out of town. Co-host, uh, she will be back joining us for our next uh, episode. We're about to talk with my colleague across the river at the Harvard Law School, uh, Sheila Heen. And Sheila teaches there, also does consulting, and is an author as you'll hear in uh, the conversation, I'm sure, that we're about to begin, I um, was happy to pitch in and help her in an exercise she was doing with her students, her law students, on dealing with really difficult conversations. And I think it'll take a little while for us to lay down what we did. But after we went through it, it occurred to me that you could do this if you enlisted uh, a friend or two uh, to engage in this practice for dealing whatever it is in negotiation that you find most challenging, uh, what is most likely to throw you off your uh, game. So, so I'll ask her to describe that uh, exercise in a classroom, um, but I think it's got uh, great potential in everyday life. So looking forward to calling Sheila into this conversation uh, right now. So it's great to be here with Sheila Heen, an old friend and colleague, a teacher of negotiation at the Program in Negotiation, a consultant and trainer as well. I'm hoping today, Sheila, though, we can talk about your uh, book, Thanks for the Feedback, which uh, you co-authored with Doug Stone. It's interesting. If we think about negotiation, it's all, often kind of there's a buyer, there's a seller, there's a plaintiff, there's a defendant, there's the U.S., there's Russia, or whatever the case may be. But a lot of the most challenging negotiations I've found, at least people reporting it, are internal. In, in your work, do you find that to be the case where they're negotiating sideways with colleagues or up for resources or maybe even down in terms of people who report to them? Oh, for sure. And and even when we're negotiating across the table, right, outside of our organization, um, even then often it's my internal negotiations, what we would sometimes call behind the table, um, that are the most challenging for me to try to corral key stakeholders within my own, own organization to get on the same page about what we want and what the priorities are yeah. or why we should allocate resources in a different way. Aha. Uh -huh. I was thinking of something else, too. And, of course, there's the own negotiation that you've got going on in your own head that our friend and colleague Bill Urey talks about, a negotiating with yourself. So, um, Oh, for sure. It's a multi- <laughs> Oh, mu that kind of internal. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but, no, I was, thinking, I, was, yeah. I was thinking exactly about what you are as well. And if you're in an organization of any size, it doesn't have to be very big. There are regular performance reviews, and then informal exchanges between somebody who's higher up the organization and wherever you are situated. That's what your book uh, with Doug is about, right? The Thanks for the feedback. It is. And so um, in thinking about feedback, we can connect these two concepts, as you've just done, which is Part of what's hard about internal organizational conversations is that we have long history with each other in many cases, 
And we have all kinds of feedback for each other for how I wish you would change because working <laughs> with you has a lot of costs for me. But then you somehow, bizarrely, also have feedback for me because you somehow think I'm the one who needs to change to make things better. And, and that can often prompt a negotiation with myself about what to make about that feedback, um, about who I am and how much of it feels legitimate and, and, and also about the fact that it's coming from you who I find irritating and frustrating to work with. Um, and so all of that is, is part of the topic. Yeah. When yeah. you say you, you're just positioning me there. You don't feel that way in real life. Do you Sheila? Or... Yeah. This is just a friend who feels oh, okay. that way about you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so it's relational. Uh, you're negotiating the relationship, which is not trading this for that. Um, it's an ongoing relationship with a history that might be good or not so good or bad. And you're also in a situation where there's likely to be some future. So uh, relationship and identity are tightly intertwined. Beyond saying that it's hard to do right, um, what what can we do if we're on either side of the table to make that a a more constructive process? Well, I think that you're you're exactly right seeing something that I think we didn't see for a really long time because most of the work around feedback conversations has traditionally focused on the skills of the giver. Like if you were just more skilled as a giver, well, then people would take your feedback. And And I do think that there's a lot that we can learn to be more clear and more skillful. Um, and then <laughs> inevitably we notice that no matter how skillful we are, sometimes it doesn't go well and they still don't take our feedback. Um, so it was really a sort of lightning bolt moment where Doug said, well, hang on one second. We're so far, we were only focusing on half of this equation, which is the skills of the giver. What about being the receiver? What about what about receiving the feedback from the people around you, which, which can be formal, you know, performance reviews, grades, et cetera, but it, it's often informal um, and indirect where the signals you get of, from people around you about the ways in which you're impacting them or the ways in which they wish that you would change. And gosh, what's out there looking at the challenges of being on the receiving end, which I think is challenging for all of us. And that really led us to be thinking more holistically about, okay, how do you make these conversations into richer conversations? And actually, as a receiver, if, I'm, if, if receiving feedback is a distinct set of skills, which I have come to believe that it is, a distinct set of leadership skills, um, gosh, if you could become a better receiver, you, know, you could sort of take charge of and drive your own learning, and you can create a culture of learning within your team or within your organization. I want you to pull me back to this, but I want to go sideways just for a second because you made me think of something, a, a little interlude that I love, and it has to do not with the receiver but with the giver, though actually it has to do with mm -hmm. both. There is a, a show, I think it might have been on HBO, uh, called Masterclass, um, and Wynton Marsalis, the fabulous trumpeter, and uh, Frank Barrett refers to him yeah. as, as kind of the god of, of, of jazz today, is working with a trio. One of the kids might be 20, um, but there's somebody else who's on a sax, as I recall, who's 17. 
and they do a little number. And Winton, we use first names in jazz, Winton goes over and puts his hand on the guy's shoulder and says, I love your energy. And then he stops. He says, I love your energy. He said, you notice why I stopped at that point? You know, the kid's a little bewildered. I stopped because I want you to hear that. If I said, I love your energy, you need to work on your read, whatever that means, you would have forgotten that first part. I want to deliver that, that part to you and let you sit with that emotion in the moment. So I think that probably applies you know, in both directions in that regard. But jazz musicians are above all else great listeners. And um, Winton carries that knowledge and that habit, that virtue, when he is teaching. So I took us off stream. Any comments on that for a moment, or does that resonate with you? Well, it, it absolutely resonates. And, and also what I am self-observing, and, and I'll be curious whether your listeners also notice this, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? Like in hearing the story, I was waiting for what was going to follow. Right. I love your energy because it feels like – He's saying that as a little bit of a throwaway in order to say what he really wants to say, which is because you direct it in a different way or whatever. Well, and so I, I think that this is something that we're all noticing both as givers and receivers, which is often we offer positive feedback or reinforcement. It only occurs us to offer it when we also want to make a suggestion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that then we lose the power of, of the impact of the genuine appreciation. The... Uh... And I can't do justice to it, Sheila. He goes over, he puts his hand on, he looks in the guy's eyes. He takes a moment even to start. So the I love your energy is is very gracefully delivered and I think mm. think felt. So, you know, as our friends in the mediation world uh, sometimes say, you've got to go slow to go fast. Um, yeah. But, 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 you know, I took you off track. Can we go we talked a little bit about the giver, the receiver. What can the receiver do to manage these delicate conversations, relationships, and, and identity issues? Yeah, well, so one thing is something that actually I learned from um, Roger Fisher and Alan Sharp and John Richardson, um, because it's actually in their book, um, Getting It Done. But it, it's the idea that there are actually three different kinds of feedback. And we throw away this word feedback, but there are three different kinds that have very different purposes. And as a receiver, partly I can be aware of that and aware of what kind of feedback would be helpful to me right now. So the three kinds briefly, um, the easy way to remember them is ACE, A-C-E. A is appreciation. And it just says, I see you. I value what you're bringing to the table. I notice how hard you're working. I notice the progress you're making. Um, this is a big piece of what keeps people motivated and engaged. And it's what Winton is doing with him, right? Yep. He's saying, I see and just so enjoy. I'm like reveling in the energy you're bringing here. Um, the second kind is coaching. And coaching is anything designed to help you get better, more effective, more knowledgeable, more efficient, whatever. Um, coaching is a term of art for a particular list of way to help people learn and that's included, but we also just mean anything designed to make me better counts. So that coaching is really the engine for learning and change and achieving mastery. 
And then the last type, E, is evaluation, which rates or ranks you. It tells you whether you're on track, you know, grades, performance reviews, et cetera. And I think that we, as human beings, we need all three kinds in order to learn and grow as negotiators and as human beings and leaders. Um, and we need different types at different times and, and just being aware of like, what would be helpful to me right now? Um, what do I feel like I'm a little short on and where might I get what I need to push my learning forward um, is a big piece of, of taking charge of your own learning. I understand the categories there. But it almost seems that's from the point of view of the giver who says to himself or herself, I have several things I have to do here and I need to develop, I need to present them in a way that, uh, that are effective in this instance. But what is it that, understanding that trio, what is it that the receiver should do to make the process uh, more constructive? Yeah. Well, like Wenton, we would actually say that you're often better off not mixing all three of them in one conversation ah. because one will overshadow or seem to cancel out the other. Like if he expresses appreciation and then adds immediately a piece of coaching, the power of that appreciation, the genuineness of it can get lost. Likewise, if you're, you mean to offer coaching, but you say, well, that didn't go so well here's something you could do instead. What the other person hears is you really screwed this up, which is an evaluation. Um, so it, and it can overshadow people's ability to hear coaching. But let's flip to the question you asked, which is on the receiving side. Um, I actually think that as receivers, we're often completely unclear with ourselves as well as with anybody else about what would be helpful, right? So I do a draft of a piece of writing I hand it to you and I say, hey, could you give me some feedback about this? Mm -hmm. Totally unclear what would be helpful to me. Mm -hmm. I think it's actually much better for me to say to you, hey, listen, I'm not sure there's anything here even worth pursuing. Uh, I'm feeling a little discouraged. If there's anything that you like or you think is a little bit better than it was, can you let me know? You know, I can't there's anything worth pursuing. And so I'm really clear with you, what I need is for you to show me what you see that's of value. Now that's appreciation. It's also a little bit of evaluation because there's some standard for what's worthwhile, but positive evaluation doubles as appreciation in many cases. But if I heard, I might also say, go ahead. I, or I might also hand a draft chapter to you and say, listen, I could just use some coaching. Like, I think there's a lot of great stuff in here, but frankly, the, I don't think I've got it organized right. If you have ideas, on the organizational front, that would be helpful. So I'm asking very specifically for coaching, and I'm also telling you a little bit about on what topic in terms of what I'm struggling with, which can also be helpful to you. So can And I then the last would be like evaluation. Is this, do you think this is ready to go out yep. for me to show to yep. anyone, anyone I'm trying to impress as opposed to show to you who knows me better? <laughs> so, so I hear a couple of things in this. One is it makes the receiver proactive. Um, yeah. Proactive. Two, that the receiver actually has an opportunity to frame what the conversation is about. And I'd add third, those first two things put together give the receiver some sense of agency. This is not something that's mm -hmm. being thrust upon them, dumped on their shoulders or whatever. It's something that they're seeking which, and I'm not a psychologist, but it seems to me that that would make somebody more open 
Um, does that does that make sense? I think that. I think that that's right, and I also think that it challenges the default stance that we often have in life, which is like, gosh, I wish I got more feedback around here. You know, I could really Mm -hmm. use some coaching, but nobody seems to have any time for me. And we're sort of waiting around for the perfect mentor to show up and, you know, notice us and offer us what they intuitively think that we need. And that sometimes happens. So, by the way, when it does, you know, cherish it. Um, and I'm not sure I have to wait around for the perfect mentor because I actually have potential coaches all around me. And so I can share responsibility for reaching out to people who I think, Hey, you do this really well, or I would love your input or, Hey, is there one thing that you think I could get better at? Um, when we run these meetings, what's one thing we could change that would make them run better. I don't have to wait around. I actually can reach out and go after the feedback that I feel like I need. Very, very interesting. So uh, in your teaching, um, and I'd love to have you back at some point, but I'm mindful of where the clock is now. Uh, do you, does, does the thanks for the feedback, uh, ACE, ACE kind of thing fit mm-hmm. into your negotiation teaching or is that live someplace else? No, it absolutely does. So, um, we do do a session on thanks for the feedback on the first day or two of class um, to share with students like we're in this together mm-hmm. and we're not always going to know what you need. And by the way, the people you're going to learn the most from are each other, but people are going to be hesitant to offer you honest coaching because they don't want to offend you or upset you, et cetera. And so if you want it, you need to signal and go after it and invite people to offer it to you. So what that means is that regularly when we have students, you know, get together with people you negotiated with, um, we, we will often set up a structure. We say offer one thing that you noticed somebody else did that you thought was particularly effective that you appreciated and wanted to learn from. Or one thing you noticed that they've gotten a lot better at since the last time you negotiated with them, which was two months ago. Um, and if you would like a piece of coaching, ask for one thing, one or two things um, that your counterparts think you could change or do better. Or if there's a moment where you're not sure whether you handled this very well, ask them what impact did it have and what suggestions do you have for me for what to try instead? So that we're putting the language into the way that we're working together. And by the way, when we do the course evaluation, the course evaluation is structured the same way. Right. Tell us one or two things you particularly appreciated about this class. Um, you know, tell us a couple of things you're coaching, labeled coaching, for how we could make this class even better. So uh, interesting as I'm thinking about stepping back in the MBA classroom, not thinking about it, it's going to happen in a couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> Whether you're thinking about it or not. <laughs> oh, I've been thinking about it a lot, but mostly about logistics. Yeah. But, but like you, I incorporate a lot of uh, peer feedback uh, in the, in the mm-hmm. course. And I probably should do a little more explicit work on what that entails beyond telling them to be candid. Uh, And the last thing I would add, and I'd like your comment here, I know that you've got a plane to catch. Um, If it's around something that's actionable, a specific thing, then it's grounded in an example that something, something can be done as opposed to generally asking, how am I doing? Um, Does that, does that make sense? It does. So partly, 
partly we're thinking about the ladder of inference, right? The more specific someone can be, the more helpful it is. Specific both in terms of what you notice that I did. It's much, um, it's much easier for me to understand what you're talking about. If you say to me, you know, one of the things I thought was really helpful is how friendly you were at the beginning. Oh, okay, great. But if you say, you know, one of the things you did right away is that you, you know, introduced yourself and then you asked, um, you know, whether it had been a busy week. And that felt like we were connecting personally in our actual lives, mm-hmm. and which helped me kind of get to know you a little bit. And then I think that helped us find, uh, get aligned in terms of sort of how we were going to go about this. It was easier than to talk about X or Y next. Well, that actually helps me know what, what specifically I did or what I could have done. Here's, um, one, here's one thing I know, even better. Sheila. One, as I know about your plane and so forth, and two, uh, is that our listeners here on Agility at Work have gotten to know you some. Uh, we have people on board who have written uh, very good books. If, you, if your bookshelf is small, uh, make sure that there's a space for it for thanks for the feedback. I learned a lot uh, from it. Uh, so you and Doug did a wonderful thing in writing it. And uh, we're very grateful that you could join us on Agility at Work. Well, and to give credit where credit is due, as we one of the challenges for us was what is a title for this book? Nobody likes feedback. No one's going to read a book with the word feedback in the title. And we struggled with it for months. And you were the one who handed us the perfect title because it captures that conflicted feeling we have about feedback where sometimes we feel genuinely, you know, thank you for the feedback. I really, it really was helpful and valuable. And other times we feel like, yeah, thank you for the feedback. Go away. (laughs) So you really captured, I think the spirit of how we all feel um, about feedback in a way that really matched up with the tone of the book. So thank you. Happy to do that. I only wish I was, as uh, clever in naming my own books, but that's another story. So thank you, Sheila. Have a great flight, and we look forward to having you back on the show soon. I can't wait to come back. Glad you could join us on Agility at Work. Co-host Kim Leary is out of town this week, but she'll be on board for our next episode. In the meantime, you can chat with us and with other listeners about the podcast on our Negotiation 360 website. You'll also find articles that I've written about Agile Negotiation and learn about what Kim is working on in the Adaptive Leadership domain. All of this content is free. You'll also see how to subscribe to my Negotiation 360 Self-Assessment Best Practice app as well as how to look up my HBS Negotiation Mastery online course and Negotiation Agility on LinkedIn Learning. Here's a shortcut to Negotiation 360. Just key in the letter N, as in negotiation, and the digits 360.expert. That's N360.expert. We look forward to seeing you there. Thanks a lot.